For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Nate, do you want this? This is beautiful. But it's not but it's not mine. Just leave it there. I told our team on Tuesday that I, we're gonna read and preach from this passage today. And, uh, and Allison almost fainted. She was like, oh, brave, brave. So it's a great passage. Um, fantastic news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're going to focus on the, Paul's references to the Spirit here. But let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you that you are um, the Lord. We thank you that you uh, sent Christ, Jesus, to come uh, to die, uh, to be raised, to give us new life. And we're so grateful that you then sent your spirit, pouring out your very personal presence on us, that we might know you, that we might commune with you, that we might be transformed into your likeness. And so today, as we ponder this great reality that you would open our eyes and hearts, that you would make us aware more and more of your personal presence in us and among us, 
that we would yield to your spirit and that we would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you've been with us for now, I think, eight or nine weeks through our Creed series, congratulations. You've made it through the first two sections of the Creed. The Creed, as we talked about, the Nicene Creed that we're preaching through has broken up to three sections, the section on the Father, the section on the Son, and now the section on the Holy Spirit. And I think, if, if I'm being honest, uh, and I'm maybe guessing I speak for some of you or can relate to some of you, that this is where the Creed sort of gets a little bit uncomfortable. Like, we, we start to move into things that are a lot harder or more difficult to affirm, right? We all can affirm that we believe in one God. You know, there's a lot of people that can say, yes, I believe in God as creator. That seems fairly easy, straightforward for a Christian to believe. Maybe a few less people, but it's just, you know, still very many people can say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ who came down from heaven and died on the cross and rose and ascended and is coming back again. And that sounds like the story of Jesus and I can happily affirm that, and there's many of us who would do that. But now we get into some of these parts of the creed where maybe like your voice trails off a little bit. And you're like, I'm not sure if I want to be saying this right now. And we'll see that for the next four weeks as we look at this third section, that there's some things here that we might not necessarily consider as essential to the gospel, and yet they're right here in the creed. And this week, we're looking at the phrase that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, there's three in the Apostles' Creed, there's three places where it says, I believe. I believe in the Father, I believe in his Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Christian faith, to be a Christian, to believe in God the Father Almighty, as related by the story of the Bible, is to embrace the Father and his Son and his Spirit. Anything less than that is not Christian faith anymore. But I know for me, in my experience of Christian faith, this is a lot more uncomfortable to me than affirming that Jesus did something in the past. This is a good time to revisit Clay's opening illustration about the difference between believing in and believing that. Believing, in, believing that is to believe something is factually true. It deals with the intellect. I believe that Jim is sitting right there. To believe in is to place your will and trust in something in such a way that it then changes your life. The fact that Jim's sitting there may or may not change how I preach my sermon. Right? But the fact that I believe in God is very different from believing that God. Many people believe that God exists or that Jesus did something or even maybe that there is a Holy Spirit. But to believe in is to be actually placing ourselves under the, that reality and allowing it to shape our lives. I'm going to quote a few times today from the Christian author A.W. Tozer. He's got two different books that are just really good about the presence of God. And he says this. He says, a man can die of starvation knowing all about bread. And a man can remain spiritually dead while knowing all the historical facts of Christianity. It's possible to kind of get all the way through the creed to this point and affirm that God did create the world in the past and that Jesus did come in the past and that Jesus did, was raised in the past and that Jesus did ascend in the past and that someday he will come again and to have none of that affect our lives. But then we get to this section where it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think many of us, at least me, for most of my Christian life and my experience in all of, a lot of our conversations, is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're very often stuck in the that. We, we, we want to say that, that there is a Holy Spirit, but we really don't know what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. 
Tozer says, the idea of the spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. Maybe I hope better for you, all of you, some of you. Maybe I hope better for myself, but it's probably not true. Our understanding of the Holy Spirit is sadly neglected. There's a neglect of sermons and teachings on the Holy Spirit. There's, there's less books on the Holy Spirit. In fact, Francis Chan, you may know his name, he wrote his, one of his first books was called The Forgotten God, and it was all about the Holy Spirit in reference to the fact that the Holy Spirit is often neglected in churches and sermons. And even as we think about presenting the gospel, it's very much about Jesus and what he did. Whereas when we see the story of the gospel in the creed, it's right there, I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's a one author I read this week compared a lot of Christians' relationship to the Holy Spirit as like a bad marriage where you're kind of like living in the same house and you kind of know that there's someone else there, but you don't really have any interaction with them. Um, it's like it's just, it's not, it's not fueling our life the way that it seems to in the scripture. Mike pointed me to this illustration or this quote. It's just great. His name is Michael Bird. He says the Holy Spirit is kind of like the poor cousin of the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the poor cousin the Holy Spirit. He says, there's the father who's long gray hair, big white beard, shiny white gown, kind of like an Anglican Santa Claus. That's the father. We can picture him. And there's the son. He's like a hippie, long hair, well-trimmed beard, very Caucasian. (laughs) Father. You can picture the father. You can picture the son. And then there's the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of like a buzz that sets off good vibrations about God when we sing our favorite song in church. It's very hard to understand. Like, Father I get, Son I get, but what is the Holy Spirit? I was thinking, and this is dangerous territory as far as illustrations go, but I was thinking this week of those uh, memes that you see where it says, like, if you're uh, a pastor and it says, what my friends think I do and what my mom thinks I does and what my mom thinks I do and what, what I think I do. Remember, you see those memes and there's a little picture for each one. I was thinking about across the, the Christian spectrum, what do people think of the Holy Spirit? If we were to ask different people from different churches, so who do you think the Holy Spirit is? What would they say? And I think many of us, the little picture in the evangelical box would just be the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Like it's, just, it's just easier to just manage and deal with the Holy Spirit if we just reduce him to the Bible. Maybe if you talk to some Pentecostals, the little picture would be like Yoda with a lightsaber, right? There's like this crazy force thing that makes magical things happen. If you talk to Catholics, you might see a big picture of the church or a statue of Mary. If you talk to a lot of sort of mainline, more liberal-leaning Christians, it would be like Casper the Ghost. Like, he's a friendly little, or like, what's the, uh, the movie uh, with the little angels on the shoulders? He's like, he's a little friendly, little ghosty angel that stands on your shoulder and is your conscience or something. And then if you talk to maybe Joel Osteen, you would see a picture of the genie from Aladdin. Right? The Holy Spirit is, we, I don't say that to make fun of everyone, I'm clearly caricaturing, but the reality is we just have very diverse, very non-consistent, very oftentimes confused understandings of who the Holy Spirit is. And for many of us, it's just easier to just say Father, Son, and Holy Bible, that we engage with the Spirit by reading the word, period, and we stop there and we don't go any further. And we have a fear of all the crazy stuff that we see that's labeled under the name of Holy Spirit. And then we, we caricature him and we just sort of put him on the shelf. And playing into this is the fact that so much of our lives just doesn't feel like it needs a Holy Spirit. Like what, 
Well, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I have Google. I can get directions anywhere I need to go. Just, I don't need to ask the Holy Spirit. There's the passage in Acts where Paul says, like, it seemed good to us. And to the, I tried to go over there, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. It's like, Paul, just plug it into the GPS, man. It'll take you there. It's like we don't, we just, there's this uh, ad I keep hearing on my podcast for better help. You ever hear this thing? Better help. It's like an online um, counseling service. And, and the ads are very much like if you if you have any problem at all, just just here's it's not a hot it's not a hotline, it's a true counseling service. Just call up and they'll fix your problems. You'll have better health. Like we just we in America have just solved every problem. So we really don't I've talked about this before. You can kind of get up in the morning, go through your day, and not feel like you need a Holy Spirit. Not feel like you need anything more. And we solve our own problems. And what all of this has led to our confusion about the Holy Spirit and our neglect of Him and our seeming I think in, our, in a, lot of, a lot of days, lack of needing to have anything more than we have uh, means that we don't know the Holy Spirit. And that leads to spiritual lives that are dry and lacking power and lacking reality, and we end up tired and sad and lonely and afraid, and we don't know why. And our moral lives, our ability to make good moral decisions is becomes weak and ineffective. Our lives become filled with sin, whether we know it or not, and we're just dragged down. And these, this is how so many of us, even Christians, live. We claim that we believe in a supernatural religion, and yet so often we look like everyone else. And I wonder how much of that is because we neglect the Holy Spirit. We neglect the role of the Holy Spirit, and we don't know what it means when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And if you read the scriptures, if you had never met a Christian before, and you just pick up the Bible and you just start reading, just, just even the New Testament, you just read the New Testament, and you write down all, all of the references to the Spirit, and you, and you describe based on the scripture what Christian life ought to look like, you would have these giant expectations of what the Spirit is, who the Spirit is, and how he works. And yet so often we go through our day with very little expectation of who the Spirit is and what he might do. And yet the Nicene Creed tells us that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. It puts him on the same playing field as the God who made us and the Son who saved us. So I want to look at Romans 8. And I want to see three things that it means, from Romans 8, let Paul kind of be our tutor here for the next few minutes. What does it mean to believe in the Holy Spirit? There's three things I want to pull out that, that we need to experience, that it means for our lives if we actually believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, I wanted to mention this in greater detail later in, in the sermon, but I had to pull it out because it was too long. But there's this amazing story, if you want, if you, I'm just going to put it as a side note here to go look at. In Acts chapter 19, there's a guy named Apollos, who is going around teaching and believing the Bible, and he's, really, he's a really great Bible teacher. And Paul, he meets Paul, and Paul says, hey, have, have you received the Holy Spirit? And Apollos says, it's right there in the text, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, we need to get you the Holy Spirit right now, and he rebaptizes him, which in Pauline language is saying, you weren't a Christian beforehand because you didn't have the Holy Spirit. Anyway, go read Acts 19 when you, when you get a chance. Three things here from Romans 8. Um, that will point to what it means to actually affirm that we believe in the Holy Spirit. The first one's found in verses 8 and 9. 
Verses 8 and 9 say this. You, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And then it says this line. If, in fact, the spirit dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in him does not belong to him. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in him does not belong to him. The first thing we need to acknowledge and know and experience if we believe in the Holy Spirit is to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. That the Holy Spirit dwells in us. This Greek word is to inhabit. It's actually the word for home. Like make his home. He like puts up his tent in us. That he is present with us. And it's not just a presence like the, like the force. Like Luke Skywalker has the, the force is present with Luke Skywalker, but it's a personal presence. The whole scripture talks about the spirit of God as the personal presence of God. So how do you relate to other persons? Who, what, however you relate to other persons is how we ought to think about and relate to the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. That he sees and he hears and he feels just like a person does. He interacts in relationship with us the same way we do with other persons, that he speaks and is heard, that he can be pleased and grieved, the scripture says, that we can give him the silent treatment, just like we do our friends and spouses sometimes, that he communicates through our will and our mind and our emotions, that he's present personally as a person with us. And I was going to have kind of a running metaphor here, but I was thinking about this and a good way for me to illustrate this was the very first time I remember um, when Chris and I went on our honeymoon and the, the first night when you wake up and there's someone else in your bed and you're like, oh, <laughs> there is another person here. <laughs> like at all of a sudden there's, there's an awareness that happens and over time you develop, over time we've developed this awareness. Like there's times when I know she's there, I can't hear, but like you can sense, feel, know there's another person there and it changes the way that we we interact. There's there's a developing pursuit of an awareness of other people that are with us. It's incredibly rude to just know someone's there and just walk right past them. Right? When someone a person's there, there's a there's an attention that's demanded. It's like if we're not intentionally paying attention to the presence of the Spirit, we will just ignore him. It's like, I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you run or work out and you have someone coach you on that, they'll tell you to pay attention to your breathing. It's like when you do uh, ab exercises. What do you do naturally when you do ab exercises? Hold your breath. Right? And you have to like literally think really clearly, in intentionally think, I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe. You have to force yourself to do that. And as you pay attention to it, you begin to have more awareness of this and it changes. It's Interesting, sort of a corollary that the Old Testament word for the Holy Spirit is breath or wind, that he's the breath of God. And there's this breathing, these breathing exercises that we need to do for the Spirit, where we have to pay attention to his presence, to be aware of his presence. We're not going to get any further with the Holy Spirit in affirming and believing in the Holy Spirit until we actively, intentionally, continually acknowledge that he is a person who's present with us. There's some great uh, books I commend to you, Practicing the Presence of God. It's an old, old small pamphlet by a guy named, uh, it's, it's a collection of letters that this guy named Brother Lawrence wrote where he talks about and describes what, 
what it, what it meant for him to live. And he was like a cook in a monastery or something. But, but he had this good, just amazing sense that God was present with him. And he cultivated that. In everything that he did, he would put little reminders for different parts of the day to just cultivate this awareness and this reminding and acknowledgement that the Holy Spirit is present. What if the first thing we do when we get up in the morning is remind ourselves the Holy Spirit is present? Every time Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, would walk up, he had one of these pulpits that was way high off the ground, so it was like 10 stairs. And every time he would walk up the 10 stairs, every step, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because you're going to stand up here and preach, you better darn well believe in the Holy Spirit. But he's reminding himself that the Holy Spirit is present, 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 present. Because we're in the flesh, so often we forget. We wander away. We miss the fact that God is present personally with us. So the first thing that it means to believe in the Holy Spirit is to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells in and with us and to cultivate an awareness of that presence. So that's the first thing. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay, if the Holy Spirit is present, he, now he describes him as he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. First, we have to acknowledge his presence. Believing in the Holy Spirit means acknowledging that presence. But then secondly, it means experiencing his life. Actually receiving spiritual life from the Holy Spirit. This is why the creed describes the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. From the beginning of the scripture to the end of the story, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the, the, is sent by the Father and by the Son to go and enact the will of God, to bring life into the world. And it's spiritual life. You can't have a spiritual life without the Spirit. That's why it's called spiritual life. That we participate in the very life of God as we embrace and engage and believe in the Holy Spirit. The guy that I'm... Luke Timothy Johnson that I've referenced before that's kind of helping me walk through the creed uh, says this. He says, the first believers were not given military, economic, political, or other forms of material power. Right? Acts 1 says, Jesus tells them, you will receive power from on high. They didn't get any military, economic, political, or other forms of material, material power. But they had been touched and transformed in their own spirits, in their capacities for knowing and loving. And from this transformation, derive new capacities to embody that spiritual power. That what it means when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit is that we believe that from the Holy Spirit we can receive actual spiritual life. That God setting up shop in our lives actually is a game changer. That things change. And this is really helpful to go back to the marriage illustration. You can instantly imagine where this might go. Okay, the first thing is like, oh my goodness, there's another person here. That's step one. Step two is that now this personal presence begins to change me. Like, I don't know if that's happened to you. That like when and I was listening to a guy give this, talk about this, this metaphor, it's so good. And 
exactly what he was saying, I was resonating with it. So I'm basically stealing his, I'm just stealing his metaphor. But like when Kristen goes away for a day or two, which doesn't happen very much anymore because we have hordes of children. But like when, <laughs> when she were to go away and I'm by myself, I just like revert back to bad habits, which like I stay up till one o'clock watching stupid TV shows. It's almost, it's almost weird and uncanny, like nights that she's away, I like literally can't stop myself from staying up till one o'clock watching TV. I like to begin to disintegrate. Like the, I get back to the worst version of me. But as we're together and as we've lived together now for 11 years, there's this life that has come. I become a better version of myself by our interaction. And there's a sense in which she holds me to that by the presence that she has and the interaction and the relationship and the life that she brings. That there's this new capacity for knowing and loving, to use Johnson's words, that has been awakened in me over the course of our relationship, that Kristen's presence in my house has changed me. It impacts me. It, and there's no way to quantify and define that, right? We want to like say, well, what, is it, what exactly is the life of this that the Spirit gives you? There's no way to define and bottle that up and quantify it. It's this sense that what we know. You know when you have a friend who gives you life? That's a life-giving friend. And someone would say, well, what, what does that mean? What is, what is that? And you say, I don't know what it is. It's just when I'm with that person, it gives me life. I walk away from conversations feeling refreshed. I'm, I'm engaged. I want to be with them. And that's the way that the scripture talks about our spiritual life with the spirit. That when we spend time acknowledging the spirit and engaging with him, there's a vitality and a life to our spirit. And so if we walk around life not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, there's a good chance that we're not spending a lot of time with the Spirit because there's a, there's a life that he brings to our lives. That to believe in the Holy Spirit is to acknowledge his presence but also then to experience his life. Jared Wilson has a couple of great questions. Just listen to these questions that he asks. These are diagnostic questions about whether or not. It's like a spiritual life diagnostic check. He asks some of these questions. Do you constantly or often feel hurried even when you don't need to? Do you find yourself wasting a lot of time on TV and social media? Do you see status updates or hear conversations where you have happy friends and those happy friends stress you out or depress you or tempt you? Do you feel trapped in regular cycles of dysfunction or conflict? Do you struggle with regular church attendance or community group attendance? Do you struggle to feel connected when you're in community group or at church? Are you too exhausted to read your Bible or pray? All of these are signs of the negative thing, the thing that you're, we're missing spiritual life. We're missing experiencing the life of the Holy Spirit. And we think we can often, we think we can manage our way out of this. We can find more life hacks or just kind of get more sleep. And there's all, there's all these things that can be important, but so much of our problem, our spiritual problems, is the lack of being with and experiencing the life of the Holy Spirit. Because maybe we believe in the Father, maybe we believe in the Son, but we're missing this belief in the Holy Spirit that allows us to acknowledge and experience the life that he brings to us. And that leads us to the third thing that you see from Romans, that this is woven throughout the entire text. I encourage you to go back, read all seven. That's why I wanted to read all 17 verses, but I'll highlight it here in verses 12. Oops, that's the wrong one. That's my fault. If you have your Bible, Romans 12. 
Romans 8, 12 says this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then it says this important sentence. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. This word led is the same word that's used for prisoners. Like in Acts when Paul is led out of the dungeon in front of Festus to give his speech, he was led. All who are bound, led, pulled, directed by the Holy Spirit are sons of God. To believe in the Holy Spirit is not just to acknowledge his presence or experience his life, but actually to be led by him. For him to be the master of your life. The opposite of that, Paul uses the word flesh. This is, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this, but he says in verse eight, I don't know if you caught this, I put it at the first slide here, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Paul's describing two ways to live. You can live in the flesh, or you can live in the spirit. The spirit can be your master, or he will not be your master. There's like two options. <laughs> those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who whose master is the Holy Spirit, who acknowledge his presence, who experience his life and are led by him, are sons of God. And he leads us towards spiritual and moral transformation. This is the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that categorize the good life. You can have everything in the world and not have spiritual life. Spiritual life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. This is the, the full life, and there's only one way to get there, and that's to be led by the Spirit. And this is where the, the, the metaphor, the marriage metaphor, comes to a head a little bit. Chris and I used to, we have this, this thing where um, I'm the kind of person that if something bad happens, I always assume that it's your fault. It's your fault. I'm ne- <laughs> not my fault. I'm never at fault. It's always you are at fault. That's just my personality and my sin. Kristen is on the flip side of that. It's like if anything bad ever happens, she's like, it's probably my fault. It's probably my fault. You can see how that would be very toxic in a marriage <laughs> if, it's not, if we're not careful. And so as we got married, there's, we, we had these, a lot of situations early on where I'm always saying, oh, it's just their fault. Like, things would happen, it's like, their fault, they need to fix it. Like, it's no, I'm kind of have the blame shield up, and it's just, no, 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 no. And Kristen's the one that's, like, actually humble and caring and loving. And after 10 years, it's been amazing to watch the progression that we've had on each other, the change, to the point where there's situations now where we're on the opposite side. Not, it's rare, but there's this... <laughs> There's occasional situations where, like, I'm the one advocating for patience and humility, and she's like, we got to go in there. <laughs> that one time you did that, remember? <laughs> but, like, the point is that there, there's, this, there's this change that's, that's in me from the relationship and the personal interaction that I have from Kristen. And the interesting thing to think about when we think about that, that spiritual formation process is who is, who is doing the changing Am I doing the changing or is she doing the changing in me? It's, it's both, right? The, in the relationship, she is the one that's influencing me, but I have to allow that. I have to yield to that. 
in this relationship, in this one particular instance where she's changing me for the better. There's a lot of them where she's changing me for the better. But in this one, she's changing me for the better. I have to actually yield. I have to engage with that. I have to be present. I have to allow her to lead me in that. And that's how it is with the Holy Spirit. He's present. He wants to lead us, but we have to yield to that. To believe in the Holy Spirit is to acknowledge his presence and experience his life and then yield as that life comes to us. And there's a lot of places in Scripture where even if we are living with the Spirit, we can be resisting that. We can go back to the fleshly ways. There's a lot of that in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. We can resist that. And so as people who know and believe, to say we believe in the Holy Spirit is to cultivate an awareness that he's present personally with us. And then it's to experience the life that he gives, to be aware when we're missing it and say, I need to go back to the Holy Spirit. Where do you need to set up those rhythms of prayer, the things we talked about, the spiritual formation things, where we're, we're putting ourselves in the way of the Spirit. This is, remember this from last fall, that the spiritual formation is not us going out and changing ourselves. It's finding ways to put ourselves in the pathway of the, of the life of God and then yield to the things that he's calling us to do. And it leads to an entirely different way of living. So as we think about, as every Sunday as we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I hope that that brings a new clarity to you and a new pursuit. You get up in the morning and say, I want to believe in the Holy Spirit today. I want to acknowledge his presence. I want to experience his life. I want to yield to the way that he's leading me. This is the way to life, says Paul in Romans chapter 8. Acknowledge his presence, experience his life, and yield to his leading. All that the Holy Spirit does is applying the work of of Jesus. This work right here, God sends, the Spirit, the, the Son accomplishes, and then the Holy Spirit applies. Look, there's no other way to get the benefits of Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that applies it to you. Let's be people who know and experience and yield to the Holy Spirit so that we can know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace in sending the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate, the one who is present with us, we know and admit and acknowledge that we want your presence with us. And yet we so often are wanderers and we're so often um, ignorant of your presence. So we pray that you would open our eyes, make us aware that you are here, that you give life. And may we yield to you as we know and sense your calling to move us toward the things that your spirit gives in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Make us people who experience the benefits that you won for us on the cross. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.